Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Before we put the slide maybe on, on, on what the sermon title is going to be, I, I do this sometimes at small group, but I just want you to guess what the topic for tonight is going to be. Okay, the media team, they, they can't decide because they have the slide in front of them. Maybe someone from our small group. It's going to be about Jesus. You know, we, we, we many times make the same, same joke at small group. But whenever we get to a place, whenever we have small group or whenever we are at church, the topic is supposed to be about Jesus. You know, whenever we have a topic that's not about Jesus, then we should start questioning, you know, why we are here and what it is that we are doing. And, you know, not only is it about Jesus, but it's like becoming like Jesus. We know that we should be people that, that become like Jesus, you know, that live out the call that Jesus has for our lives. We're supposed to imitate Jesus in our faith. So if we can put up the, the slide there. What would Jesus do is the sermon title for tonight. I see some very excited people here in front. Um, but many of us, many times, you know, seen, or maybe even some of us today that's wearing those little bracelets with the WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? To remind ourselves, you know, that we are people that's supposed to live out the call of God for our lives, and we are supposed to resemble Christ in the world. You know, when people looked at the first church, in Corinthians, they call them Christians for the first time, you know, little Christ-like ones, people that look like Jesus, people that behave like Jesus. And it's actually such a beautiful, beautiful picture. But if then I can ask us another question, you know, what, what are we doing here tonight? What are you doing here? What is the, the reason that you are here? And maybe small group as well, you know, when you go to small group, why are you at small group? You know, what are you doing there? And the same thing for work and our workplaces. And maybe you can ask them another question, you know, what would Jesus do if he was here? What would Jesus do if he was at your small group or if he was at your work? You know, what would he do? What would he focus on? What would be the things that he do? Because many times, you know, we, we make a hypothetical environment, you know, about Jesus and we put him in today's context and we put him in a certain situation and then we try to ask ourselves, you know, what would Jesus do? And then we respond according to that. But many times, you know, we focus a lot about the character of Jesus. You know, in becoming like Jesus, there's two main categories that we can focus on. The first is character, and the second is ministry. We are supposed to be like Jesus in both character and ministry. In the way he did certain things, but also in what he did. And many times we focus on when we think we ask ourselves that question, you know, what would Jesus do? We focus a lot about character. But that would actually better be stated, you know, what was Jesus like? Not what would he do? Because he would love people, yes. And he'd do it in a kind way and in a patient way and in a loving way. But that was the way in which he did certain things. You know, that is the character side of Jesus. But that's not what he actually did. So to ask ourselves, you know, what would he do? We should go beyond character as well, you know, and literally ask ourselves, what would he physically do? What would he practically do if he was in those situations in our lives? You know, and many times we... We make this hypothetical situation, but we don't think about the practical things. And if I can ask yourselves, you just quickly take 10 minutes. What, what do you think? Oh, sorry, not 10 minutes, 10 seconds. What do you think 
would Jesus do if he was here, if he was at your small group, if he was at your, at your work? What would be the things that, that he does? And then to, to help us with the question, we can ask ourselves, what was the essential mission of Jesus? You know, what did he essentially come to do? If we can maybe break it down into two character traits or maybe to two essential things about this mission, you know, that wherever he was, essentially he would focus on these two things. And that's where we're heading tonight. And I hope I can give us, you know, first two points about character, but we're going to try to go through that quickly because that is the, the things that Jesus would like us to do in a certain manner, in a certain way, in the character of Jesus. And then we're going to look at the ministry side of things. And then also two points. about wherever we find ourselves, that we should at least focus on these two essential things that's part of Jesus' ministry that he essentially came to do. And there's a lot of other things that he do, but these two things just stand out. And whenever we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? It would come down to these, to these two things. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in John 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer from John 1, 17, verse 1 to 26. And just to explain to you guys the importance of this prayer, it's just after the farewell discourse where Jesus gives the last message to his disciples before he gets crucified. And he institutes the Lord's Supper and says, do this in remembrance of me. And also explains to them the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit would come and do in our lives. And then after explaining these things to the disciples, he looks up and he starts to pray while they're standing in front of him. And also rarely in scripture do we see actually the prayers of Jesus recorded. You know, a lot of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they mention Jesus going out to pray and going to pray all night. Or he went up early in the morning and he went out and he went to pray. But rarely do we see the contents of those prayers. Except with the, the resurrection of Lazarus, we see the contents of Jesus' prayers on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this prayer right here, the high priestly prayer. So it's a very important prayer. And Jesus really wants us to get the context of what he's saying here. So if we can read it together, either on the screen or in your Bibles. So it says, John 17 verse 1. Jesus said these things, speaking about the farewell discourse. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, in order that the Son may glorify you. Just as you have given him authority of all flesh, in order that he would give eternal life to them, everyone who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side, with the glory that I had at your side before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you have given them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they understand that all things that you have given me are from you. Because the words that you gave me, gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know truly that I have come from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. I am asking on behalf of them. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me, because they are yours. And all my things are yours, and all your things are mine. And I have been glorified in them and I'm no longer in the world and thou in the world and I'm coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you have given me so that they might be one if we can just pause there for a brief moment so I just want to explain this because I'm going to relate to this in a moment so when Jesus says there that he has given us his glory so that we might be one even as they are one what he's speaking about there is verse 10 you know just as plain as words can state all my things are yours and all your things are mine that is the unity between the Father and the Son. 
authority, purpose, vision, and every other thing that they share, you know, people, everything that you can think about, everything that the Father has, the Son has also, and everything that the Son has, the Father has also. So that He's calling us to that same unity, that same unity of purpose, of vision, but also everything we have to have that in common. That is the unity that He speaks about. Then verse 12. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I guarded them, and none of them has perished except the Son of Destruction in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And now I'm coming to you, and I'm saying these things in the world, so that they might have my joy complete in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And we can see Jesus repeating a lot of things. And I actually want you to focus on that because that things are very important. And then he says in verse 17, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And for them I sanctify myself so that they themselves also might be sanctified in the truth. And I do not ask on behalf of these only, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they all might be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, in order that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, in order that they might be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, in order that they might be complete in one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and you have loved them, just as I have loved me. Father, those whom you have given to me, I want that those also may be with me where I am in order that they might see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world does not know you, yet I have known you, and these men have come to know that you sent me. And I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, in order that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I may be in them. I know that's quite a big passage of Scripture. And last night I also looked to Robin and I said to her, you know, if I look at this passage of Scripture and you just quickly scan through it, you know, you can preach more than 10 sermons on different topics just from this one passage of Scripture because there's such a lot of things that Jesus mentioned and there's such a lot of things that he prays about. But I'm not going to try and preach 10 sermons in one tonight. I'm going to try to be quick. So we're just going to focus on some key verses that Jesus says in this passage. And if we can go to the first slide. It says there in John 17, verse 3 and 4, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on earth by completing the work that you have given me to do. Now these two things are the two great purposes in our lives. You know, inevitably, no matter who you are, these two things will be the two great purposes of your life, to know God and to accomplish the work that you gave him to do. You know, we want to glorify God and we want to be a people that glorify God. But we see here that by completing the work that he has given us to do, that is how we glorify God. You know, many times we come to a place and as Christianity and especially Christianity today, where we believe if I have Jesus in my heart and I know that he has died for me on the cross and if I can accept that sacrificial death of Jesus, then, then that is enough. It's okay to just stay at that place. You know, and that's actually consumerism because I like what Jesus has to offer but I'm not going to do some further investigation because, you know, what if he expects something of me back? So I like the fact that Jesus says, you know, he's going to pay for my sins and I can be with him in heaven one day. But I, I actually want to stop there. And we come to church, and we go to small group. But there's not a lot of seeking God, you know, to know God and to really draw near to God. And that is actually, you know, a state of apostasy. And what apostasy means is just a fancy word 
for faithlessness, you know, when we have kind of fallen back from God and when we have drawn back. And then God says, to the one who draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And many times when we think about the coming apostasy or people that has fallen away from grace, we might think about people that live immoral lives. You know, they do certain things that the Bible does not expect of them. You know, they're no longer at church and they no, no longer at small group. Certainly those are the people that has fallen away in apostasy. You know, but when the writer of Hebrews writes to the church in Hebrews, he's writing to the church. And he's actually warning them about the coming apostasy. And he says to them, some of you have ought to be teachers by now. And that's the coming apostasy. You know, certain, some of us that are sitting here tonight, there's certain gifts that should have come through our lives already. There's a certain things that God has called us to that we should actually pursue in our lives. And as long as we're pursuing those things, and as long as we are drawing near to God, learning more about God to do His will, then we know we're not in that place of apostasy. But whenever we get to a place where we just sit back, you know, like Werner said, if, 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 if Werner stood here and he preached till he died and that was okay with us and we just went to another preacher that is still alive till he dies, <laughs> then that would be an epic fail. Because there's supposed to be works that come through our lives. That's why I'd say to know you, the only true God, and I glorify you having completed the work that you gave me to do. And we need both these things in our lives. Now, James, he actually says it quite harshly, but in James 2, it says, faith without works is dead, that faith cannot save you. Whenever we say that we love God and we draw near to God, but there's no good things flowing from our lives, then we should wonder, you know, is this a saving faith? And not to preach a work-based salvation, because Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, we were saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. But then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. That was the reason. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. There's a path for our lives that has been paved out by God, and we should actually walk in that path. We should actually live that out. And obviously, it starts first with knowing God. Because if we don't know God, we don't know what he expects of us. We don't know what he's like. We don't know what we should do to please God. And there's this guy, he tells a story that they went and spoke at a convention. It's a Christian convention, so all of the speakers are Christian. And one comes up and... He greets him and he says his name to him. I forgot his name now. And he says, oh, you the Bible guy. And he looks at him quite strange. I thought, you know, I thought all of us are the Bible guys. We had a Christian convention. We're supposed to preach the word. And these people, you know, they like to tickle the ears of the people and like to stir certain passions, but they don't speak about the word of God. And they actually look down on this person because he was now the Bible guy. You know, he speaks from the word of God. And he says, you know, okay. Let's, let's take that as, as an example. But he says, what do you think will happen if I go home, I kneel at my wife's feet, I take her legs, I look her in the eyes, and I say, my love, you are the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen. You have the most beautiful brown hair and the most beautiful green eyes. How would that go? You know, we think, yeah, there's no problem with that. She would probably look at him and say, you, I love you, I love you back. That's, that's so nice, my love. And he says, but the only problem is my wife doesn't have brown hair. <laughs> and she neither has green eyes. She's actually a blonde with blue eyes. You know, and, and we laugh now, but many times we do the same with God. And we say certain things to God and we try certain things to please God, but we don't actually know what God is like and we don't actually know what He expects of us. And that is why it's so important to draw near to God and to know Him so that we can understand what He expects of us. And He actually says in Isaiah 4 verse 6, He writes to Israel and He says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I've also rejected you from being priests unto me. Because they don't understand what God expects of them. 
And then God writes in Jeremiah 9, verse 23 to 24, and he says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me. That I'm the God that practices steadfast love, righteousness and justice in the earth. When these things I delight, declares the Lord. So he delights in the fact that we understand and that we know him. And I love that scripture in Jeremiah 9 because many times when we think about this verse in John 17 verse 3, we, we think about a knowledge of God. You know, we understand the things of God. But in Jeremiah 9, it speaks about understanding and knowing. We understand the things of God. We know what he expects of us. We know the laws of God. But we also know him relationally. We also have a personal relationship with God. And we draw near to him so that we can know him, so that we can understand him. You know, the same way like I know my wife. That is the knowing that it speaks about in this verse. A relational knowledge, an intimate knowledge of God. So that we can please him, so that we can know what he actually expects of us. And the moment we draw near to God, and the reason why we also start with the knowledge of God, is that actually prepares us for the work that God has for us. If we can go to the next slide, we see here the outflow of learning to know God. It says in Colossians 3 verse 10, speaks about putting, having put off the old nature and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. So as we learn to know Jesus, we become like him. And we know a lot of people that is very sin conscious in life, you know, very doom prophets, turn or burn. And it's because they have that view about God. And the way you view God, you will become like that. And then we have people that, you know, they view God as a very relaxed God and he just sits back at heaven. You can actually do whatever you want because Jesus has come to die for our sins. And then they live that way. Because the way that you think God is, you will become like that. And then it says in Ephesians 4 verse 12, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we see these two outcomes, unity and holiness. And these are the things that should be a natural outflow of drawing near to God. Whenever we spend time in God's presence, whenever we you know, sit in the presence of God, that should naturally just be the outflow. A unity among God's people and a holiness that comes from God. That's why grace is there. We sometimes try to do it ourselves and we fail miserably. But when we go to God, He's actually the one that sanctifies us. He's actually the one that works that unity within us. Because when we come together as a church and we don't have unity, it's not because we didn't agree about certain things or because I don't like your hairstyle or I don't like your shoes. But it's because there's a relational issue with, with our intimacy with God. If all of us are intimate with God, if all of us spend time with God and we get a vision and a word from God and we come together, then inevitably we'll be in unity because we have unity in the spirit and that is what God actually desires of us. So we can quickly go to the next verse just to illustrate that in the prayer. It says there, John 17 verse 16, They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Speaking about that holiness, we cannot reach the world while we are like the world. You know, if you want to help someone out of a pit, then you mustn't be in the pit yourself. That makes sense. You know, we have to be outside of the pit to help the people in the pit. We need to be outside of the world to reach the people in the world. Otherwise, we are just calling them to ourselves and they remain in the world because we are in the world. Makes sense. And then John 17 verse 22 and the glory that you have given to me, I've given to them in order that they might be one, just as we are one. And the scripture that we all know well, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, We all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God, and we all are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, which is the Spirit.
speaking again of that sanctification and that unity that God brings as we pursue him and as we sit and just try to live our lives in that way. And then that unity as well, you know, speaking about the unity of the Trinity as the authority of God, the purpose of God and the vision of God. And we are called to that same unity like we mentioned before, to have the same vision, the same purpose and to have all things in common as we pursue the world. You know, Jesus said, as I see the Father do, so I do. As I see the Father say, so I say. I didn't come to do the will of myself, but the will of him who sent me. And that is the unity that God desires of us. You know, as we see Jesus do, we do. What we see, he said, we say. And we do not live for our own will, but for the will of him who sent us. And that is Jesus that sent us through this prayer. And that unity will actually show the world that, that, that uh, God the Father sent the Son. I pray that they might be one, that the world might know that you sent me because it's unlike the world they live for individualism individualistic lifestyles i live for myself and if we live for one another that's contrary to the world and actually gives glory unto god so we can quickly go to the first point this is what we need for the mission holiness and unity and this speaks about the character of jesus that is that first part that we always like to focus on you know but if we can just have it in s's it speaks about our holiness and unity you know the love of god the patience of god the fruit of the spirit through jesus's life all of those things manifests his holiness you know many times we actually have a false sense of this because we we make christianity a christianity of don't instead of a christianity of do you know many times we think that that we are in a state of holiness when we have separated ourselves from certain things when there's certain things that i don't do anymore then i think that i'm holy but whenever you read through the Bible, it says put off the old self and put on the new self. Don't do this, instead do this. Don't live in such a way, instead live in this way. So there's not only things that we shouldn't do, but there's things that we should do as well. And I would really like to challenge us, you know, whenever we think that, that we are in that state of holiness, you know, like Carl says, he at least admits it, you know, that we, we don't measure up. We do fall short. But luckily there is a grace of God. And he's the one that leads and guides us. But when we say that we are in this place of unity and that we're in a place of holiness, then inevitably that should lead in good works flowing from our, from our lives. Because it's that point, it's where Jesus sends us to live out a mission, to live out a vision that he has for us. So if we believe that we are in this place, but we are not moving out, then we should check, you know, are we really in this place? What is the areas that God still wants me to grow in? I'm not saying we should be perfect before we go out. Otherwise, we all would just stay in this building. Um, but there should at least be in our desire to know God and to do his will. You know, and that is the holiness of Christ that he speaks of. And so I just want to say this as well. I know all of us are called to different places. You know, you will be called to, do, to go and do different things. You know, as we sit in these all these teachers, these miners, these engineers at Sassel, there's a lot of different people. And there's a lot of different things that we are called to do. But wherever you find yourself, there would at least be two things that will inevitably be part of your calling. Wherever you find yourself, wherever Jesus has called you to, the two things we're going to focus on now, that will inevitably be part of your calling. And that is something that Jesus has called you to do. So if we can quickly go to the next slide. It says there in John 17 verse 18, Just as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And then the Great Commission in John's Gospel, many people say there's no Great Commission in John's Gospel, but that's actually um, chapter 20 verse 21. That says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And many times we focus on the other great commissions, but this one for me is most beautiful. You know, it's just so simple and it actually encapsulates everything. As the Father sent Jesus, so he sends us. He sent him with authority. He sent him with a vision. He sent him with a purpose. 
He sent him in holiness and in unity. And he sent him for a specific cause. And what Jesus is saying here, like the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you with that same authority, with that same vision, with that same purpose, with that same unity and that holiness that he expects of us. We are to go out in the world. Because he is going to the Father now. So he's stepping out of that place and we are now in that place. We're obviously not Jesus, but we are supposed to live out the mission that he has started. He has come to start something, but we are supposed to carry that on in our lives. And then again, we'll be in different places in our lives and we'll be called to different things, but there will be two essential things that we can answer. When we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? It would come down essentially to these two things. So what did Jesus do? If we can go to the next slide. John 17 verse 6. I've revealed your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. It says there in verse 7, Now they understand that all things that you have given me are from you because the words that you have gave to me, I've given to them and they receive them. So we see these two things. Whenever Jesus speaks about revealing the name of the Father to the disciples, he's speaking about the character of God. He's speaking about the authority and the character of God. Of God Himself. We see this passage of Scripture in Hebrews 1 from verse 2 to 3. It says, Now in the last days God spoke to us through His Son. And then it says in verse 3, He is the radiance of His glory and He is the exact imprint of His nature. He came to reveal the nature of the Father. You know, many times we believe that there was an angry God in the Old Testament, but luckily Jesus came and now there's a, a loving God in the New Testament. That is not true. You know, Jesus came to reveal to us the heart of the Father. So whatever we see in Jesus, that's what the Father is like as well. And then, obviously, when he says, the word that you gave me, I've given it to them, it speaks about the message of the gospel. So what Jesus is saying, essentially, I've come to embody the gospel, I've come to live it out, and I've come to share the gospel, to speak the words. Living the gospel, sharing the gospel. That is what Jesus did, and that is what he calls us to do as well. If we can go to the next slide. This sums it up so beautifully. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then he prays, prays for the disciples and says, I also ask on behalf of these only, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word. You see, Jesus had a compassion for the lost and we are supposed to have the same. What's so beautifully for me about that verse 20, Jesus is not praying about something that he would like to happen or should happen or could maybe happen, but it's like it already happened. You know, he says there, on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, there will be those who believe because they know that I've sent them with a mission to also embody the gospel and to also share the gospel with all of creation. That is what I've called them to. And what also makes this so beautifully is this prayer now gets imparted into us as well. He's not only praying for the 11 that's standing there in front of them, but he's also praying for those who would believe through their word. So everyone that is a Christian that believes in the word, Jesus prayed this prayer for you. He sent you with the same mission. He's given you the same mandate. He wants you to be in unity. He wants you to have holiness. And he wants you to go into the world and to reach the people. So if we can go to the first point. What did Jesus do? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And we need to reach out to the world. We cannot withdraw ourselves from the world. That is what's so beautiful about verse 15. You know, Jesus prays in the presence of the disciples. And he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you might protect them from the evil one. And so many times we have that tendency to withdraw from the world, to just go one side you know, and form a little holy huddle, and we don't want to reach out to the world, but that is not biblical, and it's neither what Jesus expects of us. We must reach the world. We must embody the gospel to them, and we must show them the love of Christ and preach to them the gospel. And you know, this doesn't mean you have to be an evangelist. Just to also make that point clear. 
in Mark 16, when also the Great Commission, Jesus says in verse 15, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. He doesn't say, if you are an evangelist, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. And if you are a pastor, you can pastor those who are already saved. And if you are a teacher, you can teach those who are already saved. No, regardless of your gift. He said that to his disciples. This is the great commission for a disciple of Jesus. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are called to preach the gospel to all of creation. You can start by preaching it to your dog at home or some of your pets to practice. (laughs) Maybe that's what Jesus meant. And I'm not saying that we should bring the masses to salvation. I'm not saying all of us should at least bring a thousand people to Jesus and then we are living out the calling of Christ for our lives. And I know there's going to be busy times. There's going to be shut down where people run around like crazy and it's hectic times in life. But let's at least always have one person that we are busy praying for and that we are busy reaching out for. And don't choose someone in Cape Town because you live in Zekunda. And I choose someone that's at your work, that you're in contact with, that you can trust God to pray for that person and just share the gospel with them. And it's okay, you know, Jesus also made this definition in his prayer. He says, Father, I've given them your word and they have kept it. I've not forced it upon them. I've not, you know, I'm not the one that forced them to keep it. So have that same mentality. Whenever you share the words of God with someone and they don't want to keep his words, that's fine, just move on. But let's always have someone that we're reaching out to. Let's always have a someone that we are praying for. And inevitably, it doesn't matter what you are called to do, we can do that. Wherever we find ourselves, we are called to embody, to live the gospel and to share the message of the gospel with those around us. And then secondly, what did Jesus do? Mark 1 verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then he prays for that same people that he called in, in Mark 1. It says in John 17 verse 18, just as you have sent me to the world, I also have sent them into the world. So we see there, from I will to I have. So Jesus made disciples. In the beginning he called them and he said, you know, I'm going to walk a road with you and I'm going to equip you so that you can do a certain thing. And then John 17, he says, okay, now you're ready. I've sent you into the world. I've equipped you. I've imparted into your life so that you can go and do the same you know, just the basic sense of disciple just means someone that follows and obeys Jesus. Just someone that follows and obeys Jesus. Seeking Jesus, following him, that two great purposes, to know God and to do his will, to know him, to know what he expects of us, to grow in holiness and unity, and then to be sent out by God to go and do his will. You know, and just in the most basic sense, a disciple is someone who, like Jesus, embodies the gospel, preaches the gospel, and teaches others to do the same. As simple as that. I'm following Jesus so that I can be like he is, so that I can call others to him and teach them to be like him as well, so that they can reach out again and teach others to do the same, and so that they can reach out and teach others to do the same. It's like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's the most basic definition of discipleship, and I believe all of us can do that and are called to do that. So if we can go to the last slide. Second last slide, sorry. What did Jesus do? Jesus made disciples who made disciples. And it's important that made disciples who made disciples because many times we make a disciple but we fail to teach them to go and make disciples as well. And we see this throughout our generations. There's just a failure from people to impart something to the next generation. If we were very good at imparting things to other generations, there would have only been one great revival. We would have still been busy with that. 
but unfortunately there was a lot of them because we failed to to look for the next generation and to have them in mind and to know that when we are gone there's other people going to have to be there to take over to lead to guide um, and that is what we are called to do and we need to have these two things in our lives and we also spoke about last time you know being a, a disciple maker just say to them the message of the gospel show them how we live that out send them and then support them while they teach others it's really as, as simple as that and so again according to your gifting maybe if you like Renier are an evangelist you'll focus more on seeking and saving the lost but you still have to make disciples you know there will be a tendency in our lives to either lean towards the one or towards the other and that's fine we can do that but at least have one on one side you know an evangelist he'll bring maybe more than one people uh, to Jesus in his lifetime but at least he then should make one disciple but they should be both in our lives continuously. And again, I'm not saying we should disciple the whole of Sukuna man alone. That's not going to work. That is why we're called to unity. That's why it's so essential to have unity. That's why it's not only holiness that God desires, but also unity. Because we see a lot of people that have holiness and they want to go out and to reach people and then they get burnt out because they're doing it alone. We are the body of Christ. We're not the individuals of Christ, but the body of Christ. He has called us to go out together. You know, and many times you also see as they go out, because what the devil wants to do, he wants to, he wants to get people one side, and then they come up with the funniest ideas and funniest teachings and weird things when we isolate ourselves. And we should make sure that we are never isolated, but we are always in fellowship so that we can grow and do what God has called us to do. Let me just say. Okay, and I just quickly want to say to us, just before I go there, who knows the vision statement of our church? Yes. There's some hands that go up. I, I, I needed to repent this Wednesday at small group because I asked my small group, you know, what's the vision statement of the church? And nobody knew. And they didn't know because I didn't impart that. I didn't take that. I didn't run with that. I didn't impart it to them. And we didn't have the single focus to do the single thing. So that was a failure on my part. But if I can just sum up, you know, the, the Great Commission in a cool one-line sentence... And what we are supposed to do to become like Jesus, the ministry side of things, you know, to go and reach the lost and to make disciples. I would use the vision statement of our church. And if we can go to the, the last slide. This is our vision statement or our purpose statement of Shofar. This is the mandate that God has given us as a church. To reach nations and generations through disciple making, leadership development and church planting. Church planting you can also substitute with small group planting. And where we live this vision out together is in small group. Because this one guy of our church actually says it so beautifully. He says, we are not a church with small groups, but we are a small group church. That is where we do church, in small groups. That is where we don't limit the work of God to one man standing and preaching on a Sunday, but to all of us doing the work of God together. To be a family, to be united. That happens at small group. We become a family because... Just like we are not the individuals of Christ, we are also not the friendships of Christ. We are the family of Christ. We are called to have family, to have a singular vision, a unity that is unlike that of the world. And that actually proclaims the mission of Christ into the world. And that is where we live this out. You know, and we don't need much to, to impact and change Secunda or our workplaces. We just need unity in this vision. If all of us just run with this vision, if all of us just focus on reaching one person discipling one person and teaching others to do the same oh the effect would be amazing imagine if the whole church globally every single believer just had this vision just to reach one person 
and just to disciple one person so that they can do the same. The effect would be magnificent. Now we, we then actually would start to be the embodiment of Christ and what he has called us to do in that unity and in that holiness, to run with that vision. And the Bible actually says in Proverbs 29 verse 18 that there where there's a lack of prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, where people don't know where they are going, they are going nowhere. That makes sense. You know, and maybe some of us, you know, we feel that we're not quite sure where we are going. It feels maybe sometimes in our spiritual life that, that we are hitting a wall and we want to grow and we want to go somewhere, but we are not quite certain where to. Let's run with a vision. And let's run together. And there's certain people that's going to run faster than others, like Renier. You don't want to go running with him. So if you just want to start, come with me. We won't go far, but, but it's going to be fun. We can go for a run and then chat the whole 500 meters back to the house. It, it, it will be a great time. But let's do this together. Let's stand and pray. Yes, Father, thank you, Lord, that we can come before you, Lord. I'm just going to say thank you, Lord. Thank you that it's fun to be here, Lord. Thank you that it's fun to worship you, Father, and just to live a life in your presence, Lord. And and thank you, Lord, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, Father, and, and that you are the one building your church, Father. And thank you, Father, that, that you give us a vision, Lord. You give us a mission, Father. And you've not called us, Lord, to do this alone, Father. And you've also given us the authority to do this, Father. When Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go, therefore, because I have this authority and because I've imparted it into you, go. Go and make disciples. And he speaks to a body of people, not to individuals. Don't worry, you won't have to run alone. But there will be people beside you. And if you get tired, don't worry, there will be someone to take your hand. If you don't know the right answer, don't worry, there will be people around you to guide you, to lead you. And maybe some of us, you're standing here tonight and, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't quite know how to reach out. I don't know how to make disciples. And, and we need to be honest with ourselves. And many times when we come to that conclusion that I don't know how, that is the start of the journey. Because a lot of us also don't know how, but we pretend like we do. And it's okay not to know how. And I would encourage you, if that is you, to go to the people in your small group, to go to the people in church, which you see are, are good at either reaching nations or, or discipling people and go to them and say, hey, walk a road with me. I also want to do this. Because I see that no matter where I find myself in life, that these will be inevitably the things that I'm called to do. I'm called to spread the love and the good news of God to the world. And I'm called to raise up disciples so that they can go and do the same, so that we can have a life change in the people around us. To spread the good news of God, because He has done so much for me, and I just want to get that out into the world. And I would really go and encourage you to go to those people and, and ask them to walk around with you. And maybe you're here tonight and, and you're thinking to yourself, you, you never really had that, that place where you, where you can say that, that I've known Jesus. You know, for now, I don't want to focus on the second part, you know, to go and do His works. I just want to know Jesus. I want to be someone that has that eternal life to know God and Jesus Christ whom He have sent. I not only have knowledge about Him, I know that my parents have told me and people have told me that that Jesus has died for me on the cross and that He loves me, but I can say that I've experienced that myself. I don't have that relationship. I know about Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. And if that is you tonight, then, and you just want to 
surrender to Him. Or maybe recommit, you know, maybe you, you find yourself in a place where, where you have drawn back a little and you know that you have also should have been a teacher by now. There's certain things that should have been in your life by now and certain fruit that is manifested because you have an intimate relationship with Jesus and you just want to recommit and say, Lord, I'm coming back to you just to be with you, just to know you. Like Vandana said, Lord, if everything that we have here, Lord, is, is not here, but only you are here, Lord, may that be our heart's delight. May that be what we find pleasure in. So if you are here tonight, I'm going to ask you to respond by just raising your hand. I'm not going to call you forward, but I'm going to send someone to you to, pre, to pray with you and just to walk that road with you. So if you are here and, and you want to say, I want to know God, or I just want to recommit, I want to draw near. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand in three, two, one. You can just keep your hand raised and someone will come to you, one of the facilitators. Thank you for those hands. Someone will come to you and just take you to the aisle and pray with you. Thank you for responding. And that for those of us who are still standing here and, and, and you know, you know, God is nudging in your heart. There's, there's people that you know that you should reach out to. And, you know, and when you think about those two questions, you know, what would Jesus do? And he would make disciples and he would reach out to the lost. But you've been in a, a place where it's been a while since you've reached out to the people around you. It's been a while since you've had someone walk around with you so that you can disciple them to walk around with you. I'm not going to ask you to respond or come forward, but I just want us to, to just take a minute and sit down on your seat and pray to God and ask Him, who is that person? And write it down. That we don't go tomorrow or in the week and, and we find ourselves with a few months having passed this new year already, but we've never actually wrote down those names and we have again not reached out to the people and we've again not made disciples. And I would really encourage us to ask small groups, you know, just go and run with this vision. Just impart it again to your small group. Just ask the question, who are you reaching out to and who are you discipling? So if we can just sit down and just take a minute and ask God, pray to God and He will show you those names and He will show you those people that you should go and reach out to and whom you should disciple.